1: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. This is another special Wednesday morning episode, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at bottomguncoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it's already a number one new release and a bestseller on Amazon. I'm really excited about this new book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you'll reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. And if you're looking for other ways to support what I'm doing on the show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrenny.com. Podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. I also wanted to mention that the Deep Leadership Podcast is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in every week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show. So thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about building trust, and who better to talk about the subject ...than someone whose job it was to recruit spies for, for the United States. And my guest today is Robin Dreek, who is the former chief of the Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program for the FBI. Now, Robin knows people, and in this episode, he'll teach us how to develop rapport, to build trust, and to predict future behaviors of people around us. And this was a fascinating discussion that I know you're going to enjoy, so... Are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Robin Dreek. Robin started his career as a Marine Corps officer, then moved to the FBI, where he was a special agent and chief of the Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. He is a best-selling author, a professional speaker, trainer, and podcaster. He is the author of three books. Now, listen to these titles. It's Not All About Me, The Top 10 Techniques for Building Quick Rapport with Anyone, The Code of Trust an American counterintelligence expert's five rules to lead and succeed, and sizing people up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction. Now, he's an expert on the subject I trust, and I'm excited to have him on the show to talk to him about it. So, Robin, welcome to the show.
2: Hey John, thanks for having me. And yeah, you can see a theme kind of developing in my life.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, that's why I had to read the titles of these three books because they're so, they're all interconnected, and uh, and all three of these are really important for leadership. So I really wanted to get you on the show. I'm excited that you're here to talk about it. So maybe get us started off a little bit about your career. You you had a really interesting career. You went to the Naval Academy, you went in the Marine Corps. After the Marines, you went to the FBI, had a long career there before you started your own business. Tell us about your career, your journey, and some of the things maybe you learned along the way that, that led you into the, into the work that you're doing today. <laughs>
2: It's the greatest question in the world when you ask someone tell us your origin st- story because that's when the reality show of life comes out and you realize that hey all this sounds really cool he's a you know my last thing I did in the FBI was head of the behavioral analysis program for counterintelligence I recruited spies and when you look at the the history of me yeah it's a wreck <laughs> That was not what I ever wanted to do. It was, you know, you, you follow life and the path it gives you. So it started off with yes, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. It took me taking the SATs seven times and an extra year to get in. <laughs> I know you're an engineer, so I wanted to go that route. It didn't go so well for me. Back because back then I wanted to be ultimately, I want to be this great inspirational leader and an astronaut. I was what I call a Reagan baby because that was a time. You know the early to mid '80s when patriotism was soaring and the yep. space program was really cool—the shuttle and everything. So I wanted to be an astronaut. And when I got to Naval Academy, what they shouldn't have done is they shouldn't let a guy that had to take the SAT seven times major in aerospace engineering. That's not a good plan. So I quickly fell out of that. I won't say fa- failed out, but yeah, I probably failed out of that. And. The Navy pilot thing kind of went sideways Oh, because Top Gun had coming out. And so it took an extra year to get in because now all of a sudden everyone wants to go to the Naval Academy to be a Top right, Gun pilot, right. which drove me nuts as well. Um, my eyes went bad because back then they, you couldn't correct to 2020. I had like 2025. <laughs> i was so close. <laughs> and so they put me on a boat one summer. And I know you spent your time on boats and they put me on one of those surface ships. And my stomach did not like bobbing on top of the ocean. <laughs> And so when i I got a chance to check out the Marine Corps, I was like, "This seems a little more my style. <laughs> they write with crowns. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to go on a boat necessarily, <laughs> right. And, and so I went that route. and what i th- so this whole process really highlighted to me this this the greatest dichotomy that I discovered in my life was the dichotomy between leadership and power. And I didn't know it back then. It took me probably only to about a year or two ago when I kind of discovered this thing. I always thought, Leadership was a continuum that you're either really good at it or you're really bad on it. And we spend our lives trying to move that dial to the really good side. And I thought I was one of these natural born leaders. I watched Patton on TV when I was growing up, you know, George C. Scott, you know, if, you, if you're going into the military, that's one of those have to watch movies. Yep. I thought it was all about yelling at people, kicking them in the butt, being a popular guy because. When you're a gregarious outgoing guy, you're popular. I was a popular guy. I got, was captain of the football team, elected to school offices, clubs, all the things I had to do to try to get in the Naval Academy. What I didn't realize, though, was those things are about self. It's about popularity. Mm-hmm. And leadership is about others. Right. <laughs> and, when I, and when I hit the Marine Corps, and Marines are really good at calling you out on doing really dumb things. And at my first ranking, because Marines are also very good at continually judging you not nonstop, and so you get ranked all the time. And I was ranked last out of the 14 second lieutenants in my squadron. I was 14 out of 14, mm. one of greats, humbling moments again. And the only thing I had going for me is I always owned it. You know, it's extreme ownership. Like Jocko Willink says, I always owned it. Thank gosh I did it. And I went to my major, and I said, well, all right, sir, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. What? And he goes, that's easy. You need to be a better leader. I was like, I didn't get it because I thought I was. I was a popular guy, everyone liked me. I'm chatty. And he goes, no, 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 that's not what it is. He says, you need to make it about everyone else but yourself. Yeah. Blew my mind because I had no idea what the hell he's talking about. Because unless you taste it the first time, like, how does anyone know what chicken tastes like unless you taste chicken? You know, it's one of those things you actually have to taste and experience these things for the first time to have it have recognition. And since no other other time in my life did I think I actually consciously made it about someone other than me in the language I used, a lot of me moments, a lot of me sharing my own anecdotes and stories, like I'm doing now. You know, it's hard to have that understanding. So, and I said, "How do you do that?" And he goes, "Well, just figure it out." So the mm-hmm. gauntlet slide down, and I spent the rest of my life trying to master and understand leadership and making it about mm-hmm. others. I got better at it when I got down to Paris Island after Cherry Point. I had a great opportunity to really throw myself in a line of fire to protect Marines as a morale officer, to keep them from doing stupid things to end their careers. And so it was really understanding oh, wow, it's no longer about me, it's about others. And so at, when I came in the FBI, and my job is to recruit spies. Because it's understanding that recruiting spies is not a game of manipulation or subterfuge or deception. It's a game of building trust. Mm. And it's actually leadership because everything in life is leadership. You know, if you have a destination you're trying to walk to and trying to accomplish, you can't do it solo. You need to do it with a team, whether you're getting support, encouragement, or people helping you along on that path. And that requires you to lead. And so if you have a goal and destination in place and you have to build relationships and forge trust in order to accomplish it, that's leadership. And so same thing when, with recruiting spies, you have to build trust because no one's going to put their life in your hands unless you have it. So it became the bedrock of everything I'm doing. And I I see all—I saw all these behavioral overlays between how do you make it about someone else in the language you use and behaviors you have, and I came up with my four pillars to shifting the focus from yourself to others and forging that trust. So that's the, that's the journey.
1: <laughs> so really it, it was early on when, you know, as a, as a young Lieutenant where you sort of learned that it's not about you and, uh, and then do you it, didn't the know cycle. how to do
2: it yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's really good to have those moments uh, that you, that you have those realization. And, and, and as you said, you, you kind of went on a journey, a lifetime journey to be able to learn like how to, how to do that. And and along the way you've, you ran into, uh, trust in, in human behavior. You became an expert in that area. So just tell us a little bit, because I think I'm curious, and I think our listeners would be too, uh, what is an FBI counterintelligent behavioral analysis program? What is that, and what did you do in that in that role?
2: In a nutshell, it's strategizing spy recruitment operations. Wow. We did a lot of other things too. We strategized double agent operations. We strategized espionage investigations, false flags, undercover operations, all the hooky spooky spy stuff you see on TV. My my team and I, we strategized all those operations. Wow. And then what happened was it was very, you know, when you're doing operations, it's hard to really put your finger on exactly what you're doing. You sit down with a team of people that you assemble because a case agent tells you, I'm trying to achieve this. This is my mission to have this interaction with this human being, recruit this spy. And you strategize the human engagement, the interaction, the language, the dialogue, the place, the venue, the location, all these things. And what happened was I'd already written the first book. Uh, It's not all about me, my my life manual. Um, (laughs) And, (laughs) And someone asked me to do another article for the law enforcement bulletin. They said, Can you do it on counterintelligence? I said, sure. I said, let me write about the, my team. I loved I love my team. I love strategizing these these great operations for national security, protect people. It was fantastic. And that's when the first time I kind of took that step back and had that 30,000 foot optic and said, what are we actually doing in all these operations? Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's an interview or recruitment, because all, all, all these operations really is you're selling a product, you're selling a service of American patriotism to people who generally don't want to buy it. And when I took that optic back and said, in each one of these cases, what's the common denominator that I'm doing? I'm strategizing trust in every single interaction. That was the common denominator and trust It's what it looks like to the other person because trust can, that's one word, but can also be boiled down to one other word, safety. Mm. Trust is when you're strategizing how do you make someone feel safe or psychological comfort. That's what we as human beings are constantly seeking and craving. And so as leaders, when we can identify in our people that are following us or that we're working with, cooperating with, whatever you want to call it, what they view as psychological comfort or safety, if we're the ones providing it, Because we're so focused on them, you're going to have a relationship. You're going to have trust. You're going to have Mm -hmm. loyalty. You're going to be able to accomplish missions, goals, and priorities because you have a team that wants to come along with you because they know you're going to make them safe.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I think when I look back at my career and I had a boss and I write about it in one of my books that, that uh, you know, had my back, we were doing R&D work and we were doing something that never been done before. And the first time we went to the lab, we had a catastrophic failure, spent, the com- spent a lot of the company's money uh, and uh, kind of embarrassed my boss and all that. But I remember that um, in what's interesting is he had my back, like he didn't fire me, like he understood what we were doing is very difficult. And, um, and he created that, 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 that safety net for me, uh, and, and protected me because he knew what I was doing was very difficult. So he backed me up, and kind of gave me a new mission, you know, get back to the lab, get this thing passed. But the point is, is that he created this, 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 this safety for me to be able to have a, a few degrees of freedom to be able to make mistakes. And, uh, and, and my level of trust for him was off the charts. I mean, I'd run through a wall for this guy. Like I completely trusted him because he had my back. And I think what you're saying is that when you do have that level of trust, there's a feeling of safety that you're, that I I trust you with, in your case, I trust you with my life. Right. Right. And, and, and in, in the case of my boss, I, I trusted him with my career. He was yeah. he was going to look out for me. And when you do that, um, you create loyalty too to the person that's created that 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 trust boundary, if you will, that safety boundary.
2: And what it also enabled you to do, exactly as you described in that situation, is because you felt safe, you could innovate right. and solve problems. Right, and that goes to Simon Sinek. I know you've read his work too. You know, with you know, leaders eat last. He talks about the golden circle of safety or trust. I have the three. My three pillars of leadership are simple: leaders accomplish goals, missions, and priorities. They create a a condition of safety psychologically, physically, and emotionally, spiritually, whatever people need, because without that, they will not innovate and solve problems. And finally, leaders are resources for the success of those around them without expectation reciprocity. And that, that middle pillar, though, of safety, because if you don't feel safe from your coworkers, from backstabbing you, or from the boss, you will not innovate and solve problems.
1: Hmm that's absolutely true because if you're running in fear, you're not going to take chances and fear and, and, is
2: what leaders yeah. help people overcome
1: yeah, absolutely. so I wanted to kind of like just kind of go through some trust issues with you in the context of your three books because I think sure. it it's trust applied in three different unique ways and I think that that might be a way to approach it. so your first book is called It's not about me and you as you mentioned, it's your life story but uh, <laughs> in there you're you're trying to uh help the reader, how do you how do you build a quick rapport with others uh and 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 in there there's a there's a trust thing so what are some lessons as people go through that book what do they come out of that with uh in terms of uh you know what do they learn when they go through that book
2: so it starts with trust i mean it starts with rapport as you know the first impression you make in that first 10 15 20 seconds and these 10 techniques in the book they're good at that first impression, but they're also good sprinkled in throughout any dialogue and conversation. And the 10 things I talk about in that book are basically giving people control. Because hmm. when people have a sense of control, they, they're they empowered with knowledge, they they see the environment around them, you're being transparent, you're being open, you're making the conversation about them in every way you can, it makes people feel safe. You make people feel safe, they're going to like you. So a couple of techniques and 10 techniques that you can do right away is, uh, the first one is establish a time constraint. Instead of instead of I mean, we've all experienced the yeah, whether yeah. it's a, a zoom webinar or a briefing someplace when someone starts talking, you have no idea when the end is in sight and all you all your brain is saying and screaming is oh my gosh, when's this going to end because you have no control, you don't know when it is. And that unknown right. creates that fear factor of I got to get something else done. And so it was very distracting as opposed to someone that gets up and says, hey, folks, I'm going to be here for 10 minutes. My goal is actually be out in seven now I'm engaged. Or when you sit yeah. next to him, we've all experienced things where you're sitting at an airport and some stranger sits next to you or at a bar and, says, and just initiates a conversation out of the blue, shields go up because you're literally saying to yourself, when's this ending? Right. As opposed to right. someone saying, hey, I got to leave for work in like 50 seconds. Mind if I asked you a quick question? I'm in the mood for a market for a new I cell phone. That. What do you think about yours? Seeking a thought and opinion, making it about them, saying I'm leaving. When you're recruiting a spy, you can do the same thing it's instead of walking up to an intelligence officer from a foreign country and saying hey do you want to cooperate with the united states government <laughs> shields up
1: yeah. you know oh my gosh
2: right, right as opposed to hey how about this you know we don't have to say what i do and what you do it's kind of an, an unwritten knowledge here if you'd like, let's maybe get together for a cup of coffee or two over the next month. I'd love to hear what kind of challenges and priorities you have. I'd love to share some of mine with you. And if we think we might have any collaboration or potential overlap areas we might be able to be a resource for each other, great. If not, we'll go our separate ways. Again, I got a time constraint, got two cups of coffee one month. I'm seeking their thoughts and opinions because those are these overlapping four pillars of communication to shift the conversation from us to them, it's really simple. Number one, seek their thoughts and opinions instead of sharing yours. Number two, talk in terms of their priorities, challenges, and pain points instead of yours. Three, validate them without judging them. And this is having non-judgmental curiosity. Curiosity is the greatest mitigator of all things when you do it without judgment. Matter of fact, I just finished uh, Leonardo da Vinci's biography. And here is a guy that I all of a sudden noticed was beloved by all history. Everyone knows the name Leonardo da Vinci. Most people don't know, back in the 1400s, being a homosexual was not a good thing. Mm. People got killed for that. He was, but he's still beloved. You know why? Non-judgmental curiosity. Mm. And Benjamin Franklin, same thing. The world loves Benjamin Franklin. Why? Non-judgmental curiosity. And so that's a great thing. And finally, number four, you empower people with choices. When you do one of those four things, the entire conversation shifts from you to them. Their dopamine's going, their serotonin, all the pleasure centers, no, the brains no, are firing because no. they're saying this person is making it about me and I feel safe. So there you absolutely. go. So, the first, so yeah. the first book is all about that.
1: <laughs> well, it's absolutely it's so important as a leader, whether it's you're talking with an employee, you're talking with a potential customer, you're talking with a vendor, uh, you know, you're talking with in my case, I run a manufacturing business. You're so I'm dealing with local community issues. Is 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 that you're building these relationships and uh all that is an important part of leadership and all that you explained it's funny i just had a I had friends out uh last weekend we uh they came over to our house for a nice dinner and uh at the end of the night uh, they were taken off and and the the gentleman the friend of mine he said to me you know i we love coming over to your house because you always make it about us and not about about you and, it, and so I naturally do that, just as a leader, and I've mm-hmm. always done that—put others first. And and but it's interesting to hear him say that. Like I felt I, I love coming over here because it's you—you you make us talk about ourselves and what we're doing. And I think that's people want to hear their own voice. They want to tell their story. And it, sometimes as leaders, we st- we we trample all over their story with, here's what we're doing today, and here's the mission. Here's it's like. Well, you know, what about me? You know, I want to hear you know, yeah, I want to I want to be able to talk too. So and, and I'm
2: going to throw some validation at you, John, because as a podcaster and a leader, you exude and from your background, you are naturally very curious mm-hmm. and it excites you to find out new things and you love discovering from people. So when you're podca- when you're interviewing people, you can see you just light up. So you have this thing I call congruence between being curious and your non-verbals just lights up when someone's talking and sharing information with you, which is hugely validating to people because you're basically saying, I like you, you're safe with me and tell me more.
0: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. Uh, your next book, sort of you, you, you make a little bit of a shift there and this is called the code of trust. And now you're kind of more talking about, uh, inspiring trust, uh, in others as a leader, building a culture of trust uh, in an organization as the leader. So, um, so you're shifting gears, one sort of like one-on-one relationships, and now you're talking about in a leadership role. So what are some, what are some things that we learn when we go through that book?
2: It's. Like everything, it's a progression. The first one is kind of ten things you can sprinkle in throughout dialogues and conversations, and a little can be a little more transactional if you know if needs be. But the code of trust is more about all right. Now we're going to move on from transactional relationships into long standing relationships, mm-hmm. partnerships, uh, collaborations, all the bigger things. And what it comes down to is my five steps that I really highlight if you're going to. And it's, the funny thing is. Five steps where it's cognitive, but it actually is ensuring genuine and sincerity, too, because you're literally forcing yourself to think and make it about the other person when engaging. So step one is pretty simple. What are your goals and priorities? Basically, what's your why, the end goal, and what are your means goals, your what and your how you're going to get there? Now, the next part of this is identifying what relationships, what people do I need in my life as a leader to accomplish the why and the what in the house? You might have them on board already, you might not, but whatever it is, you need to identify at least three personal, three professional, if not more, what's your team you need of the human beings you need to make these things happen. Part two of this second step is now you have to identify that you have your people, now we have to forge trust with these people to have Mm. them on board. Second part is what are their priorities? What are their priorities, challenges, pain points? Because if you don't know what's important to them, you're wasting your time when you're communicating. When you hire someone, They better have a lot of, now here's the onus on the owner, going back to extreme ownership here. They have to understand the why, Mm because now that's part of why they're here, why they're communicating, why you're going to communicate with them. But part of their priorities, personal, professional, long-term, short-term, what's their motivations, what provides them psychological comfort, because that's what we need to do when we're communicating. Step three is understanding their context, what they see the world through, through their optic and lens, their ethnicity, their gender orientation, social status, economic status, basically empathy how do they see life through their perspective so we can communicate effectively with them after another book i just finished reading it's called the body keeps a score which is all about the effects of trauma and what trauma looks like in the workplace Mm -hmm. and understanding that when people might have inappropriate behavior in response to something that something someone said or how it was done could be a triggering that they're having from a traumatic event in their lives leaders really need to pay attention just don't blow it off don't say you're weak or anything just realize that hey you someone or even yourself might have had it cause a trigger triggering moment for someone that's experienced trauma in their life mm. this is what leaders do because now you've made someone feel unsafe mm. so these are just things to consider when engaging that's context step four mm. using language to put this all together so language goes back to you ensuring you that whether it's an email a text or one-on-one you're using those four pillars where whatever it is you're trying to accomplish you're going to be seeking their thoughts and opinions talking in terms of their priorities validating and giving them choices and step five, put it all together. Who do they need you to be when communicating? What exactly are you communicating? When's the base, best time to do it? What's the best venue to do? In other words, all these things that, to make the other person in a condition of safety in their mind so their shields will go down, information ex- is exchanged. Now, granted, this is a lot of energy and it's all about the other person and that's what leaders do. But And are there times when us as leaders have to give someone a poke and a prod? Yeah. 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 But if your reservoir of goodwill is full yeah. because you have that's that trust it. reservoir, that's it. you can give the poke and a prod yeah. and then it has an impact. Then it has yeah. a difference. You know, yeah. I, you know, before we started, we we're talking about my teacher mentor and guide earlier in my life is now the retired Lieutenant general from the Marine Corps. His presence was so impactful anyone he engaged would do anything for him mm-hmm. because he was always there. He always made it about you. He did everything he can. I watched him walk away from his kids' own baseball games because he was getting a phone call from a mid that needed help. Mm. And he knew everything was going on in that mid's life. And he, it, was, he it, it wasn't a job to him, it was a lifestyle. And you knew that if he said something, it meant something. Mm. Because he had, and if he gave you a poke in the eye, because that reservoir was so full, these, these are the people when they, when they give you the pokes and nudges, it's bone crushing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This, this is an important point and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. This idea of a reservoir of trust, if you build up a relationship and you have a high level of trust with, with someone, then, then, then there's a couple of things. One is if you screw up, you, you, you know, and maybe that you drain a little bit out of that reservoir, you can go back and say, look, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. And, and you have that ability to, to, to yep. make a mistake. And the other side of it, uh, is, uh, just, just like you said, is, is that, um, well, I forgot what I was going to say, but, uh, but the, the idea is that you have, you have some, some wiggle room, right. And and you're, oh, that's what you're saying. So if you have to, you have to address a bad behavior, right. It's, you don't have to go very far to be able to make an influence. So like, I, I know as a leader, sometimes I'll just say, you know, I was disappointed with, with what you just did and that's uh, all i would have to say and that uh, is worse than than you know uh you know getting a cut and pay or anything like that just because it's like i i, I have a, I trust this boss and for him to say that it's it's like it's you know it's worse than anything else in the world because because you have this relationship and you, you want to make that boss happy you want to make him proud you so when you say you're you're disappointed in their behavior and something it's like
2: it's like a knife in the heart right and you know why it's so effective too when you, someone has that kind of trust with you And they they have that a lot of times because they have that presence because they know you and you know that they know you. In other words, you no longer are trying to prove yourself. You know that they see your goods, your bads. They know know you inside and out. And so you no longer have the inappropriate, insecure behaviors around them because you feel very secure. They make you feel secure about yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's
2: why when they say something, you no longer have to respond inappropriately trying to defend yourself because you know. Right, right. They see, and, they see you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause mostly you're saying like, look, I know who you are and, and your performance is always at a high level, but right. but something happened here. And I'm, and you know, can you talk to me about that? There you go. You know, and it's just like, cause you're, you're acknowledged that, look, you're a very high performer. You've built, you know, we, we've built a relationship together. I trust you, you trust me, but what you just did, you know, it needs to be, you know, we need to talk about that.
2: And it, it was beautiful about that too. It allows the leader to be transparent yeah about you know good bad you know indifferent you know it it just it's so powerful it is it's impactful means it it, it can even it allows you to have a lot of clarity of words concise because you don't because you have that reservoir they they, you see each other which is fantastic
1: yeah i really like that a lot um so one of the uh, things let's shift a little bit to the last book because uh this is kind of interesting um so in this one, it's called, uh, sorry, Sizing People Up, right? And, uh, and here you're now talking about uh, how to really uh, determine maybe like the future behaviors of a person. So right. how to be able to looking at their present uh, actions and be able to sort of predict future behaviors. Now, that's kind of interesting. That's, that's kind of next level stuff. So talk about like that book and what you're trying to accomplish. What do the readers get when they go through that?
2: Sure, so what I was r- noticing, because the first two books and everything in my life was so focused on trying to understand human beings and how to interact with people more healthy and productively and create those good, healthy, trusting relationships, I started realizing that, wow, human beings are very predictable. In other words, yeah. if we're everyone is always gonna act in their own best interest, we're genetically and biologically coded to act in our own best interest in, in terms of what the other person thinks is their safety, security, and prosperity. All I have to do is figure out what you think that is. I now can predict your behavior. And so these six signs of of sizing people up or predicting behavior is assessing the relationship from their standpoint. Uh, What I'm trying to do is, so the first two books are about my behavior. The last book is about assessing what the other person sees the relationship as from their point of view. So I can Mm. manage my expectations as a leader because as leaders, a lot of times we have this word called hope. We hope someone performs up here, but if we didn't really take an honest assessment of where they're at and and what they're capable of, they fall down here. And if they fall lower than our hope, we get resentful, we get angry, we get frustrated because we mismanaged our expectations so mm-hmm. really assessing others is about managing our expectations so as leaders we can either provide the training guidance and mentorship someone needs to raise their level if we need them to raise it or if their level's fine exactly where it's at we know what to expect and now if they fall short of it because we've spent so much time understanding them that means that they've had a pain point that has entered their lives. And us as leaders need to understand, all right, we have a pain point, we have a priority and a challenge that just arose. What am I going to do to help this manage it for them? Hmm. So it really helps us focus on the other person, how they see the relationship. So the six signs really quickly are one, are the actions that they're taking to words, these and actions. Um, are they what's the first one? It's a vesting. That's it. (laughs) Sometimes it slips my mind. So the first one is vesting. Are they taking actions that is much in our interest as it is in their own? The second one is longevity. Are they taking actions that are demonstrating they're looking for a long-term relationship and partnership and, and work together? Third is reliability. Can they actually do the things they're going to do and they actually have the energy to follow through on it? The uh actions is the one after that and the words we've all heard this if i see you doing something once twice or three times the likelihood of you continuing the same way is pretty high it's also with defi- the definition of crazy right you know if, if i see you do it a couple times likelihood you're going to continue doing that way uh the fifth is language are they using good language back at me in other words we talk about those four pillars Seeking thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of priorities, validating given choices. Are they using that language with me? And the final six one is emotional stability. When things hit the fan and chaos ensues, how well do they maintain a cognitive emotional stability to work the problem? Mm. So in a nutshell, those are the things I'm looking at. And also as leaders, those should be six things that we're given off as well.
1: Yeah, interesting. So how do you see, you know, ha- having the ability to sort of, uh, if you will, predict future behavior? How does that help us as leaders?
2: It really comes down to me as managing expectations. It it helps me understand that if I have a certain task or assignment I'm going to give to someone, and if I only, if I have a choice of three people and I give it to one, I can reasonably expect what I can get from performance from this one person because I, it forces us to focus on them and their actual performance Mm -hmm. in measurable behavioral ways. Behavior can be very subjective, obviously. And, But this makes it so many behavioral observations that the subjective becomes objective because under each one of these six signs, I have 10 positive behavior tells and 10 negative behavioral tells for each one. It makes you fill out that that leadership notebook, as I call it, with lots of data points and information on understanding others. So that's what it's good for is really understanding who's on your team
1: so it's interesting because a lot of the things i write about is that leadership is a people business right it's all about you know motivating a group of people to get something done right it's yep. just a, it's a simple thing but um what i sense is that many people who get into the management they don't take that i mean you you've laid out so many important things that it's basically in depth of how we we have to get to know people and how we have to interact with them Many managers I saw, I did 22 years in corporate, and I saw many managers had zero empathy and zero ability to have any communication with people, let alone have relationships and build trust. Uh, why do you think there's such a big gap today? And and what are your hopes, like, kind of going forward, maybe post-COVID, is there, a, is there a hope that we're going to maybe have a different uh, level of trust in, between leaders and, uh, and, and workers? Uh, do you see anything positive in the future?
2: I'm a glass half full guy, so I always think everything is positive. <laughs> Me the, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. I, I think the the greatest reason we have these challenges in leadership is fear. Yeah. I think it's I think it's insecurities. I can only speak from my own experiences, both inside the FBI or even in the Marine Corps and in my own workings with corporate America and working with companies. What happens is people like to think they're really good. Yeah. And if people then don't want to be found out to be a fraud at being really good at either leadership and the FBI's interviewing, because then they'll be feeling less about themselves. You know, Robert Greene's book, The Laws of Human Nature, one of the things yep. that human beings want is their self opinion to be validated. And if you start doing anything that's going to assault that self opinion, it feels really bad and it's embarrassing and our insecurities flare up. So what happens is, people don't seek leadership training. They don't have the humility to say, I might not be that good at this. I need some help. Yeah. Is, and that's what the greatest leaders in the world are the continual students. Yeah, You know, Jim Mattis, you know, wrote Call Sign Chaos. You know, he, you know, general running the, you know, sec, sec Def. You know, these are consummate learners and readers one of the things i loved in his book and he says said numerous times throughout his career was <clears throat> everyone thinks i have these brilliant answers i got i don't have any answers i would just read a lot of history that has all the answers i've learned from everyone else what the answers are because everyone else has been through it before all i have to do is have the humility to realize i don't have the answers and i'll find them
1: wow yeah that's powerful absolutely well, this this has been fantastic rob and i really appreciate you coming on the show it feels like we just sort of scratched the surface but what i want the listeners to 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 hear is that this you can go deep in each of these three subject matters we talked about and all of that are dealing dealing in the area of of, of trust and uh, how do you build that up? And so, you know, I really encourage uh, listeners to, to look for these three books, get these three books and dive deep, especially in the areas you think that you've got you to make big improvements in because all three of them will help you be a better leader. So Robin, how can people find out more about uh, about, about you, you uh, your books, and also your podcast, which we did talk about, uh, which is called Forged by Trust. So how can people find out more about that?
2: Uh, You bet. Simple one-stop shopping for me. Everything's at my company website, peopleformula.com. I got a page for my uh, podcast on there much like yours i dive deep on the behaviors behind interpersonal relationships and forging trust with thought leaders generals corporate ceos and behavior experts from around the world it's a great deep dive and getting backstories on everyone as well as i do personal coaching i have online training and i have my own self-mastery course which is all my reading lists plus a few online courses Literally, if you have no money, there's a way that you can continue to learn on air. And if you want to give me money, there's that's on there too. So I'm, I'm completely available, everything through peopleformula.com.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. And again, I will, I will talk about that self-mastery. I went through that. So you you get reading lists. You yeah. give very detailed reading lists about what you wh- what you should be reading at different levels in your leadership journey. Uh, and again, like you said, you're not even getting any money through that necessarily, nope. but you're helping people. So if you have no money to spend and you want to work, with Robin, he gives you a, a reading list right there and what books you should be reading at different stages in your leadership journey. So I highly encourage you go, to go out and check out his website. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. But uh, Robin, thank you for coming on the show. And thank you for sharing all of this wonderful knowledge. And, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to diving deep in some of these as well.
2: Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for allowing me to share with the audience. What a great time.
1: Well, thanks again.
0: For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take
1: care.
0: Electricast
2: production. See you there.
1: Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark, and I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the Best Business Network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to ElectroCast Podcasts, and hear the culture.
2: ElectroCast.